So, um, so what are we doing here after Easter? You know, it's a long time till Christmas, and we've got to figure out what are we going to do with all the time we've got between now and Easter, now and Christmas, because, because we're in this long period of time where there really aren't many special occasions in the life of the church. There's, there's Pentecost that's coming up in seven weeks, and, and there's, there's um, an occasional special service here and there, but it's a long block of time, and it begins after Easter. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing now? You know, we've, we've, done, we've done kind of all the special stuff. It's all front-loaded. It's, it starts right in um, December, and then it pretty much runs out in April. So, so as soon as you see spring weather, then you know uh, we have to decide what are we going to do after Easter. I was in a meeting of some ministers uh, earlier, um, well, earlier this week, last week, very early this week, um, it was last week, and, um, and uh, we were talking to one another about what are, you, what are we doing after Easter? Because with most pastors, it's one of two things. You're either going to, to um, uh, schedule some time away from your congregation, so maybe you're going to go on a, a spiritual retreat of some kind and maybe try to be refreshed or something, or maybe you're going to do um, uh, uh, continuing education, uh, maybe you're just going to do plain old vacation or some combination of all of them. And so some of the ministers I was talking to said that they had these sorts of plans. And the other ministers, they usually launch a new sermon series. And partly it's because, it, it's because you know, there, maybe they had some people who showed up on Easter, and the hope is that, is that you'll give them a reason to come back the following week. So, so it's just that there are people who maybe haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe you can minister to them by addressing some of the questions they might have, uh, what you raised on Easter. So, so that's one of the reasons. The other reason is because you're not going on vacation. So you're going to be there. You might as well start something new because Easter's behind us now. So you see, I'm here today. I'm not on vacation, so I'm in the second group. But, but this is the question that we have to, we have to wrestle with. Now, what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this idea, as I was mentioning to the children, it's this idea that God is the king. Um, and, and on one level, that's not surprising at all. We say, we say well, okay, God created the universe and, and uh, keeps it going by his power. So if God decided to, then you know, all of the galaxies, all of the, the uh, planets and stars, they would just wink out of existence because there's nothing that sustains them except the will of God. So in some sense, God is, of course, in charge of the whole universe. But on the other hand, we look at the world and we say, well, surely that can't be in keeping with God's will. Um, uh, what's going on in North Korea, right? The, the, the human tragedy that is going on day after day, year after year in North Korea, that surely can't be in keeping with God's will. And so we say, well, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un is not submitted to God's authority. So, so we say there are parts of creation that are not submitted to the will of God. So we talk about the kingdom of God is the part of the creation that is submitted to God's will. So that's what we're going to be talking about, uh, the kingdom of God. Um, because it is what Jesus is interested in. Jesus begins his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. And as we see in our reading, even after he rises from the dead, what does Jesus do? It says, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is something Jesus wants people to know about. It begins his ministry, it carries all the way through his ministry, and even here 
in this reading, right before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So we're going to do the same thing here. But the kingdom of God has to do with the first question, which is what do we do after Easter? The question, what are we here for? Now, I know for some of you, the answer is, well, it's not summer yet. And so where else am I going to go? Um, you say the fishing's no good, the football's no good, so I'll come to church on Sunday morning. But, but, but seriously, some people have got, you know, people have got different reasons why they come to church. People come because they want to learn more about God, right? They, they have faith in God, but they feel like they don't know the things they ought to know about God, so they come to church to find out about God. Other people, they say, okay, I come to church because I've heard, people have told me, that I can get help with some of the problems. I'd like to be a better person. I'd like to have um, uh, better relationships. I'd like to have better finances. There's some sickness that I would like to conquer. Um, so I come to church because I'd like help with that. Other people say, I just come to church because I like the people. I like the fellowship. I like having friends that I can see on Sundays. So people have got all kinds of reasons why they come to church. And so the, the answer to the question, what are we doing after Easter, and the kingdom of God have to do with the big question, why are we here? Some of you were here on Thursday of uh, Holy Week, and I talked about the church, and I, and I compared it to a stapler, because there's this metaphysical question I'm not going to go into about, about what, is, what is a church, and how do you know if it's a church? If, if, if you were here, the idea is, is what is this? Is a stapler? What if it doesn't staple very well? What if it doesn't staple at all? What if it's broken? Is it still a stapler? Right? And that's the metaphysical question. I don't even want to go there. If you're, if you're curious, you can listen to it online. But there's a different question. Why is there a stapler? That's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks as we talk about the kingdom of God. Why is there a stapler? What problem does the stapler exist to address? The answer is to, to hold pages together, right? Or maybe because you just love that little crunchy sound it makes. Or, or whatever it is, um, people make staplers, people buy staplers for some reason. Uh, if you get a red one, it's a status symbol in your office, right? So, um, so uh, staplers exist for a reason, and the church exists for a reason. So what we're going to be talking about is the kingdom of God and the reason for the church. What do we do after Easter? Jesus has uh, uh, come, he's ministered, he's died, he's been raised, he's gone off to heaven, now what? That's the question we have to deal with. And it is the exact same question that the disciples are facing in the Bible. So uh, as we read in the, in the lesson, it says Jesus appeared to them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait there for the promise of the Father. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, now what? What's going to happen now? You have been surprising us for three years. Okay, because we had always assumed that you were going to become king. We saw that God's hand was on you. We assumed you're going to become king. You're gonna you're gonna come into Jerusalem. You're gonna kick out the Romans. You're gonna you're gonna have a throne constructed, and you're gonna sit on the throne of your ancestor David. That was all very clear to us. And you pulled the rug out from underneath us by dying and um, then being raised. So we're a little we're a little confused about your timing. But is that going to happen now? Is, is that what's going to happen now? And Jesus says, well, yes and no. Jesus tells them, he says, uh, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. So what he's saying there is, 
is, yes, um, I am going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but not just to Israel. There's, there's two problems with your question, Jesus says. There's two problems. First of all, it's not just Israel. I'm going to make you witnesses to uh, Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the whole world. I'm going to restore the kingdom to the whole world. So that's the first problem with your question. But the other one has to do with timing. The other problem has to do with timing because they say, is the kingdom of God ever going to get here? And Jesus says, coming from a Jewish background, that's an understandable problem. For hundreds of years, the prophets have said the day of the Lord would arrive. The day of the Lord would come and they talked all about what that would be like, how it would be wonderful and it would be scary and, and wonderfully scary. The day of the Lord would be awesome. Uh, the kingdom of God, when it arrived, would be wonderful. And the disciples are saying, is that going to happen now? And Jesus is telling them what he's been telling them for three years. The kingdom of God has already come near. But you're like somebody who says, all right, I've been waiting for this train to come. And it's 300 cars. And the engine goes by, and then the first couple of cars, and, and a few cars go by, and I say, when is the train coming? Because I haven't seen the caboose yet. And Jesus says, well, the train is here. You just haven't seen the caboose yet. Or, or to put it another way, uh, you go to a movie, and you say, I haven't seen the movie because I haven't seen the end credits. Jesus says the point of the movie is not the end credits. I mean, they'll get there, right? But they're not here yet. The movie has begun, and you're asking, are we ever going to have the movie? And Jesus is saying, the movie begins when it begins, and you're waiting for the credits. Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know the timing, how this all works out. You don't know how long it's going to be. You don't know when that final reel in the movie will happen. You don't know when the, the caboose will arrive in the train. But the train is here. The movie has begun. So he says, wait. Wait, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, he says um, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or periods, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, wait and you'll receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. Now, the obvious thing when you're reading this story, they're about to watch Jesus go up in the sky. He's about to ascend into heaven. They've already seen him die on a cross and be raised from the dead. So they're witnesses. They've got some interesting things that they can be witnesses of. And so the easy understanding of this, or the obvious understanding of this, is that's what he's talking about. You'll be able to tell people about the guy who who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. But that's not what he's talking about. And the reason we know that is because we look at all the other witnesses that are in the book of Acts itself. It's not just these people who are standing around, people who had followed Jesus here from Galilee. It's all kinds of people. It's people like Paul, who has yet to see Jesus. Okay, Jesus will appear to him on the road to Damascus. There's other people that, that will be witnesses to Jesus, and they never do see Jesus. Half the people mentioned in the book of Acts are witnesses to Jesus, but they never saw him on earth. People like like uh, Timothy and Titus, Luke, um, Lydia, um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, every, every other name you see in the whole book of Acts is a witness to Jesus 
who was never a witness to Jesus when he walked around on earth or when he rose into heaven. So he says, you'll be that kind of witnesses. Yes, some of you are also witnesses of the, of the risen Lord Jesus, the ascending Jesus. But most of the people in the book of Acts, and certainly all of us, are witnesses of something else. What are we witnesses of? We're witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked, or I talked, you listened, um, we talked a minute ago about the, um, uh, um, the, uh, the reasons we come to church. We come to church because we want to know more, right? We understand that we cannot know, we cannot know enough about God by human power to trust God. That we can read the Bible all day long, but unless the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, we cannot have saving faith. We believe that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to believe in God. So Jesus says, you will receive that kind of power. But he says more. He says, you can have the power to have a changed life. He says, the sorts of things you're dealing with in your life, the things that, that have conquered you thus far, some besetting sin, um, a sickness, uh, whatever sorts of problems you're dealing with, um, the Holy Power, the Holy Spirit will give you power to become more like Jesus. So that will come as soon as the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, you'll have the power to build community. There's a church word that we don't use much in our tradition, but you know it. Um, you've probably been in a church where, where when you showed up at the door, um, they greeted you as brother or sister. You know, it's this kind of church lingo. People talk about brother and sister. And, well, how are you doing today, brother? Um, I'm doing fine, sister. Um, there's this kind of church lingo. And again, we don't use it that much, but it was invented in the early church because there was no other way to describe the kind of fellowship they had. They couldn't say, that person's a friend of mine, we go to church together. They couldn't say, yeah, I know him, he's kind of an acquaintance, um, he's been over at my house for dinner. The only word they could come up with when they were describing the kind of fellowship they had in the early church was to say, they're like a brother to me, they're like a sister to me. And the fact that some churches use that language and don't really mean it doesn't disguise the fact the Holy Spirit gives people the power to have that kind of community. The Holy Spirit gives us power in our own lives and it gives us power to build the community that the world can be in awe of. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you this power, you will be my witnesses. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at the details. How does that actually work out? What is that like when the Holy Spirit gives us power to be the kingdom of God, to illustrate the kingdom of God in the world? See, the kingdom of God is here. The train has come. The movie has begun. No, we haven't seen the final reel. The curtain hasn't come up on the play. The caboose has not yet arrived, but the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us so that we can be witnesses. Thanks be to God. Amen.